crack open a cold box of wine or pour something cold on ice because it's the Binge Watchers Podcast. Sounded refreshing. <laughs> okay, so all summer long, the Binge Watchers podcast has been watching horror movies for Summer Slash. And tonight, we're going to try something a little bit different. We wrangled the director and writer of tonight's movie, Bone Tomahawk. We're going to be talking about his new graphic novel. We'll get to ask about Don- Bone Tomahawk. And if you're listening on the Bullhorn app, you'll be able to submit some questions, some fan questions. And we're changing up the format just a bit for our live show tonight. So from the filmmaker who brought us Bone Tomahawk with Kurt Russell, he wrote one of the puppet masters. And the brilliant Drag Across Concrete with Vince Vaughn, Mel Gibson, and Tori Kittles. So here is Zoller for our horror exclusive to tell you about his new graphic novel. Uh, Zoller, did we miss anything? Uh, you, you, got, you got a good chunk of it. I mean, there are a bunch of albums and books and, and other things out there, but how much are we going to talk about? I know this is going to be uh, Bone Tomahawk-centric, and also since it's to a horror crowd, uh, mentioning my new... Uh, horror graphic novel that I wrote and illustrated uh, also seems appropriate. So uh, thank you very much for having me on. I appreciate it. Oh thank yeah, you for being on. These guys are these guys are jazzed. I know you can't see their reactions, but they're uh, they're 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 holding uh, tightly on. <laughs> so so uh, uh, what? Um, if you want to just tell us uh, the new graphic novel, the title, and and just briefly what it's about, we want to definitely make sure that our audience leaves uh, the viewing pleasures and also goes and grabs that book up. I know it's on Amazon. Sure. Uh, so the name of the uh, graphic novel is Forbidden Surgeries of the Hideous Dr. Venus. So uh, that's certainly a mouthful. And it is. it, it comes from my uh, lifelong uh, fondness for, for comics. And kind of around the time I was seriously getting into movies, I got into comics. Uh, so, you know, around... Uh, age 11, 12, and in, in, in that zone. And I knew uh, that I wanted to sharpen my skills as an illustrator. And while the illustrations in that comic are certainly crude by a lot of professional standards, I also felt pretty confident that I could tell the story clearly and have uh, kind of my idiosyncratic voice as a writer uh, come through with it. So uh, the story begins in this town that's called uh, Bastion, and and uh, turning up dismantled in dumpsters. And there are two brothers, uh, Tommy and Leo Driscoll, who uh, have a uh, comatose sister who is kidnapped. And they sort of get pulled into all of these mysteries. And concurrent with all of this stuff, there's a thread that is uh, Victorian times uh, that connects uh, somehow with, with all of the story. Uh, and it's uh, me having a lot of fun with the medium and getting pretty far reaching, uh, in terms of the spaces and, uh, the scope of the story and where it goes and all the different environments. So, uh, probably fans of, uh, uh, EC comics, uh, you know, tales from the crypt, vault, uh, vault of horror, nice. uh, haunt of fear, that sort of stuff. We'll certainly see that influence as well as. Uh, a look that is more like a kind of an indie '90s look, and uh, it was it was just it was something I wanted to do as I was finishing Dragged Across Concrete. Each of the movie experiences were <clears throat> very difficult, and uh, you know, such is the case with making movies. But a lot of that difficulty is managerial and not especially creative. So I just wanted to do something that was almost entirely creative all the time. And so I did this graphic novel and uh, actually for the duration of the pandemic, pretty much from the day of the shutdown to the day I got my second vaccine. So we're, we're dealing with about a 14 month period. I already uh, wrote and drew my second one, uh, which is a different genre and kind of piece altogether. So it's a medium I look forward to exploring while I write novels and make albums and uh, make movies when all the things line up for that. Uh, so I, I, I should apologize now. My answers tend not to be brief. 
So you can just jump <laughs> in. And, you can just jump in. No, you're doing great. I love you've it. heard enough. Okay. Well, what's great is uh, you answered. You answered. What's the graphic novel about? Then you jump right into where does an idea like this come from, and where can they get it? We kind of all summed it up in that whole that whole ride you just took us on. So I've spent so, I've spent uh, uh, so much time talking about movie stuff over the years and stuff. It's I, I, it's just very enjoyable talking about comics, just yeah. something different. And uh, so, as I said, it's a medium I have such a fondness for and kind of all my different uh, points of success in my career as a, as, a, as a screenwriter. And though a lot of those more theoretical points of success as I'm selling scripts uh, to studios that will never make those movies, mm. uh, I would go out and get comic art as the reward. So I have like a, you know, Haunt of Fear, Graham Ingalls page up on my wall, original art and Watchmen nice. and... Uh, and just a whole variety of the, the comics that I'm into. So anyways, I really enjoy that stuff. But uh, I know that uh, you guys are going to have some movie questions, uh, Bone Tomahawk specifically, and I'm open, I'm open to that. And, and yeah. I'll just talk about well, horror the, movies the, the in last, general. I'm obviously a big horror fan. Yeah, the last thing I wanted to bring up about the graphic novel is like the handwritten style. Is that part of like the, the catharsis of like pushing out those managerial feelings you had and just purging that and going right into like embracing your full like wild sense of creativity like over the over the graphic novel pages like is that like uh is that part of that process for you absolutely absolutely and i mean i think for most people who are creative in in any way if you ask them the first thing that they did that was creative uh, drawing has got to be one of the first things if not the mm. first thing i mean maybe it was storytelling if you are um a young liar and and and, and, and were you know fooling everyone all the time but it's it's a real it's a core interest that never was replaced. I just added other interests alongside it, and so there is something really satisfying to those days at the drawing board, which for that first comic were typically uh, I, I typically spent twelve hours to uh, lay out pencil and ink a page, uh, wow. and it's on eleven by seventeen Bristol board, and everything is handed. There's nothing done by computer. It's just completely done that way. Uh, other than the title font on the cover page, there's there's not an exception to that, and um, that was yeah, it's very very enjoyable doing it in that tactile way. And then there's also something, not that I'm a luddite or about to become the Unabomber or anything. There is something very nice about a piece of art that you've made that requires new technology to enjoy it. And I like. Uh, movies obviously a ton and i like music a ton and i like video games uh and, and television and all this sort of stuff but you know the interface with the stuff you need a computer or a television or a movie screen uh or a game console and there is something nice with uh, a novel and i have six of those out there of varying genres and uh a graphic novel or comic or whatever you want to call it that you just pick it up and it's all there the apocalypse happens tomorrow and like 10 people are left. If they choose to read, if they choose to read something horrific or nasty, my, you know, like my novels and my, my, my comics will be out there for someone to enjoy. So there's something nice about uh, that. It just exists and doesn't require technology to interpret it. Uh, wow. and, and so that, that, that's just something else that, that I just found. I find interesting and um, strong about the medium. Like that's it's just that's all it is. It's I just spent all that time drawing, and then a version of it was made, and you hold it and you look at it, and there isn't um, a projector at the back of a room or a television or a computer loaded with micro chips that is interpreting it. It's just what I drew, and you're looking at it, and you're building the story in your mind. Like almost if you drew that drawing on the wall of a cave and just got raw and down to it, like maybe this movie <laughs> that we're going to talk about now called Bone Tomahawk. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, we'll turn it over to our movie panel right now, if you don't mind. And we'll take some questions first from the Bid Watchers mm -hmm. crew. And then we'll see if the audience is caught up to, to turn in some questions as well. Um, sure. Go for it. Nikki Lich, you want to kick us off? You got some questions for Zala? I do. I nice do. to meet nice you. Nice to meet you as well. What I love is I your love style, style and your, your violence, violence, like, haunt me. Um, um, is there, how do you come up with this stuff? Like it's so raw and real. Um, well, uh, thank you. I suppose. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 I suppose I'm proud to haunt you. 
So <laughs> there are there are a couple of different kinds of violence, and you know, a child who grew up with uh, you know hideous foldouts of Fangoria on my wall, and definitely reading and, and watching things that I was not old enough to read or watch. I, I can I can say there are just <laughs> different purposes, and I'll I'll point to uh, two movies that I made because I can speak uh, uh, with authority on that. And in the case of Bone Tomahawk, most of the violence in that, certainly the violence done to uh, the lead characters uh, and characters uh, with whom you sympathize, my goal with that is for that to be traumatic and not mm-hmm. to be enjoyable, though I'm sure there are desensitized gore hounds or just desensitized people or people who didn't work for that well who just thought, oh shit, that's awesome, they're chopping that dude in half. And that's fine. Like that's a way you I'm not telling anyone how to enjoy it. I can I can speak with authority what the goal was was that was supposed to be a traumatic scene. And certainly I've 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 seen enough reactions to that and in in theaters live and you know communications I've had to, to believe that many people have that experience, whether traumatic or haunted. So that is one kind of violence uh that I specifically try and do. And then another kind is cathartic violence where you're with the person doing it. So without, without spoiling bone tomahawk, though, I kind of imagine people who are tuning in here have seen it. Uh, at, at a point when, when the clear, when clear villains in the movie are dispatched, those would be cathartic, uh, or that's the intention. And a lot of the violence, for instance, the titular brawl in cell block 99 is also that kind of violence. Like, even though it might yeah. go further than you want or make you a little uncomfortable with what you're looking at, you're supposed to be with the character that's doing that violence. And, uh, and, and it should be kind of cathartic, even if you wince, even if it's, ooh, I didn't, you know, like, ooh, that guy's face against the concrete and, and that sort <laughs> yeah, of stuff. Yeah. So it's, it's different sort of things. The other thing I would point out in terms of why it may haunt you or just feel different is there's a very unvarnished, unpolished, clear way that I'm presenting that violence. So you're not getting any music telling you that it's scary, which in a way is, is telling you at some level that you're watching a movie. You're not getting an excessive amount of cuts. Every cut is a suspension of disbelief. So that's not there either. And yeah. so you're not having those safety things of slow motion, a lot of cuts music, all of these things that will make you feel safer as an audience member. And and I can point very specifically to a movie that traumatized me. Uh, I guess this was 90 or 91, and I got some VHS bootleg from some shady mail order uh, place of a movie called Men Behind the Sun, uh, oh. a Hong Kong movie. And it is horrifying. I've never heard of it. Wow. And there's... Oh, and, and there is very, I, I don't remember, I've never revisited it. It was the only movie I've ever had to shut off and watch in pieces because it was so horrific. And, uh, you know, I've learned afterwards they used the real body parts. So certainly the authenticity oh is gosh. there uh, because, you know, the guy did that sort of stuff. But it's shown, <sighs> the violence is shown so dryly and, and so clearly and not in a cinematic way, but really as if it's just unfolding in front of you without the voice of the director getting in there with slow motion or a lot of cuts or a lot of different angles or whatever, that mm. has really horrified me. Like I, I had to shut it off or I, or I was, or I was, you know, like going to have a, a physical reaction. <laughs> so that, that movie made a huge impression upon me in terms of, uh, the traumatic kind of violence, definitely the violence that you just don't enjoy in any way. And when that, when it's done, you just sort of breathe a sigh of relief that you actually survived watching the scene. Definitely. Wow. Now, now you're like really a jack of all trades. And I'm just wondering what, which do you have one that you enjoy most? Like you literally seems like you do everything. Like you compose. Is there one that you enjoy most? And there's one that you don't even maybe want to do. I mean, that's two questions. I'm sorry. I, I I pursue everything that I'm interested in. Uh, you know, I think it's one of the reasons that, like, like if I were a political person, I would be involved in politics, but but I'm not. And uh, and and also having sort of that openness, and so many people in my life 
or far left and far right and sort of that whole mix, I just sort of see all the different perspectives. And this makes sense to me over here. That makes sense to me over there, you know, and, and all that sort of stuff. But ultimately, the things that I'm very, very interested in, like movies, food, books, <laughs> music, comics, I pursue all of these things to do them and, I, you know, and do them at varying levels. So in terms of uh, enjoying them, the process of making music, magic can happen in an instant. Uh, there's, an mm. end, there's an end section of one of the songs that we had the OJs record where my songwriting partner, Jeff Harriet and I, you know, we'd been going like five or six days working 16, 18 hours a day, writing all these soul songs and then jazz songs that are in, in the soundtrack and other things. But writing all these soul songs while I took a little break from actually editing Dragged Across Concrete. So these were going on concurrently. Mm. And it's like six in the morning, like day five or six of these 16-hour days, and I just start vamping and making up all these, like, I just extemporaneously vamped out, like, two and a half minutes of singing. And uh, a lot of which we reshaped. I mean, my pitch is not good, so it needs a lot of help. But a lot of which we reshaped and actually became um, what Eddie Levert is, is doing in terms of the vamps at the end of uh, Gilded Life of the Rich Man. And so the joy of that or the joy in the studio when I, when I land a drum take, that's right. Uh, that's, there's a lot of laughter and that, and, and you're hearing it all happen for real live. Whereas when you're writing or when I'm writing, I'm envisioning all this stuff and I'm in it, but it's not like the, it's not like it can come together in quite the same way over three or four minutes because I'm writing it sentence oh. by sentence. And, uh, and it isn't like the whole piece is going to cohere. So making music in a lot of ways is the most joyful experience. Um, there's a grind with that, certainly as singing performances and drum performances. Um, I struggle with getting ones that are good enough for us to fix or work on or whatever. Uh, so there's that side of it. But uh, making graphic novels, the entire process uh, is creative. So that's one that kind of hits at a good level. And it feels really uh, solid and creative and fulfilling every day while I do it. As I said, I went on from the first one that I did to the second one, which is which was 14 months uh, of me working typically 25 uh, days a month, uh, nine, 10 hours a day. So that's maybe the most time I've put in on any one project in my life. And before I was done with that, I was already thinking about another one. So uh, writing is writing is the thing I'm most comfortable with. Uh, I think it's the thing I am uh, I, I do the best, probably because I've done it the most, and it informs me making music, and it informs the graphic novels and the movies and all that sort of stuff. And, and making movies in, in terms of being on the set is absolutely at the bottom because so much of it is managerial and not creative. Uh, things out of your control in a crew of 50, 60, 70, 80 people and millions of dollars and all the things I imagined in the pure creative process of writing it. Now I'm see, now I'm trying to get that as much as I can and trying to shore up the gaps where things fall short. Uh, the end result, however, uh, is something that is experienced by more people. And I believe in uh, uh, the visceral power of movies. So it's something I always want to do. Uh, but the, the actual process of film production uh, is is difficult and a lot of times not enjoyable. Whereas writing the movie and editing the movie are both enjoyable to me. That's when you're really just kind of shaping everything and it feels very creative. And that most of your time is spent making creative decisions. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll turn you over to Dave. <laughs> All right. Excuse um... me. <laughs> Uh, hi, thank you for uh, good call. Good shout out to Men Behind the Sun. By the way, that is a very fucked up movie. <laughs> um, but yeah, I wanted to ask. Very hard to watch. I, I, I've never, very. I've never, I haven't watched it since. This is, I think, ninety, possibly ninety one, and I've not watched it since. Uh, maybe it's not as horrific as I remember, but it was, it was a movie that bested me at the time, and also informed what I, what I think uh, is a way to do violence that just feels more real and is more difficult to deal with than uh, typical movie violence. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, so I, I did want to ask you about um, your casting, um, especially for your first movie. I mean, this has like a great cast. I mean, um, you know, Kurt Russell notwithstanding. I mean, you got Richard Jenkins, uh, David Arquette, and you know, Sid Haig. Of you know, um, so I, I was curious. I mean, do you write specifically to to try to get certain actors, or was this just uh, you know you had a great casting director to pull together this wonderful cast you got? Uh, there wasn't really a casting director involved for the initial people, like the, the core crew, uh, we were just making submissions uh, directly to the agents of these actors. And then once it became uh, a, a project with some financing, then then we got them in. But uh, Kurt Russell, uh, Richard Jenkins, uh, Patrick Wilson, Matthew Fox, all these people were just uh, people I thought of or were suggested. I mean, Kurt, Kurt Russell and Richard Jenkins were very early on in the process. They, they were attached to the movie for uh, a year and a half, two years, for a long period of time before it got made. Because there were some versions of the movie uh, that were going that had a, an otherwise different cast, uh, including uh, Jennifer Carpenter and the role that Lily Simmons played. Uh, Peter Sarsgaard was actually the first person on board the movie, and he was in the Patrick Wilson role. Uh, and Timothy Oliphant was in the Matthew Fox role. So that was the version where we were scouting in Utah and then for sort of a bunch of different reasons, that version collapsed and we had to regroup. But um, uh, Richard came back because he was available for the schedule and, uh, and Kurt was Kurt was always on board. So it was really the uh, the quality of the material. And to some extent, uh, I had this first meeting with Peter Sarsgaard and. Uh, everyone's always a little uncomfortable with the first time director, but I directed a fair amount of theater and I worked as a cinematographer so I can speak with, with, uh, uh, a, a high degree of confidence for a first time filmmaker, um, about how a, a film set should run and in, in terms of working with actors. So, uh, Peter Sarsgaard and I had a really good meeting and then he, he basically talked me up. And uh, apparently he's hard to impress, but was impressed. And that led to the Kurt Russell submission. And then kind of once he came on board, there was always some version of this movie going. Uh, and uh, it was, yeah, so it was really a, a case of the material attracted them. But no, I don't write with actors in mind. There were one or two exceptions. It seems uh, in, in, in recent years, even my comic book, there's there's a there's a part I would I would give to Fred Melamed uh, that that character partially because he existed to me as a character in the world of characters I write uh, prior to me even knowing who he was so there was kind of a eureka moment of when I saw a serious man and saw Fred Melamed in there that I really want to work with that guy and he's been in all three of my movies but but outside of that uh, and and maybe one piece that I'm trying to you know, mobilize right now. I'm not writing with actors in mind. I'm just trying to get into the minds of the characters. Mm. Nice. So, um, you kind of, I think you kind of answered my next question actually <laughs> with your, uh, answer to the last one, but, um, because you do do a lot of, um, you know, you have a lot of great quiet moments of dialogue between characters. Um, and I was kind of curious if you did, uh, were interested in doing stage plays or theater work. It sounds like you might have, uh, you know, maybe if you can elaborate on your stage work. Uh, yeah, the theater stuff I did was, uh, I wrote these really bizarre little one acts uh, that were like Eugenie and Esco or weirder Harold Pinter. Um, clearly not as good as those things. I was, I was a kid when I did these. Uh, but I did these bizarre plays and it kind of helped me, um, become a better writer and also learn better how to deal with, with actors in terms of doing, uh, theater. It's something I, I, I have some interest in, but the tough thing about it for me, uh, if, if I describe an actor as theatrical, I'm typically not saying that in a complimentary way. Um, it tends to be big and I like small, a ton of my direction. Uh, with all the actors uh, with whom I work, typically reining it in, getting more of it to play as subtext, less of it to be kind of obvious on the face. So I really like low-key performances, uh, and I haven't seen a ton of theater where, where that's happening, just for the, you know, the physical space 
that you're in for theater uh, just won't permit it. I mean, if you are if you are 150 feet back and someone is doing extremely low key work the whole time, then a lot of what you're just getting is the the posture of the body and the line readings. But in terms of nuance, if there's just really subtle low key stuff going on with the performer. Uh, I think some of that would be lost. I've seen really good theater, but my favorite performances um, from my favorite performers, uh, for, for the most part, are film and television performances rather than theater. I just think the medium calls for a bit of a push uh, to get your uh, emotions across, which to me starts to feel a little bit unnatural. But it would be interesting to play around with it and and try and get performances that I feel land in a slightly larger way, but also feel very rooted and real. I, I saw Philip Seymour Hoffman in, uh, I think it was Long Day's Journey in Tonight, and so he was great. Uh, he was Philip Seymour Hoffman, and it all came across, and I didn't have good seats for that, and it felt very real. So it can happen, but uh, considering all the things I do, I would say compared to music or books or comics or movies, it's probably lower. It's definitely lower on the priority list. Nice. Oh, well, thank you for that. Uh, Adam, I'm going to sure. kick you over to Adam now. <laughs> hey, Mr. Hey. Zoller. Um, uh, yeah. Look, many, many things in this film are, are really in your face and shocking, but I really enjoyed uh, that certain things were downplayed, like the dog being shot off screen and the injured horse demise being downplayed. Uh was there ever an idea to shoot footage of David Arquette being cannibalized? Uh, no, there was a, there was an idea at some point um, put forth by a, a different actor who was interested in the part and then not uh, because he wanted that thing on screen. But uh, I really wanted it to be uh, once you get once you're with the crew, the quartet riding out, that you're really with them in their perspective. And I think that that makes it uh, more frightening. Uh, you know, obviously people are free to disagree with that, but I think that that limited perspective keeps it more frightening. And obviously it splits at a point at which Arthur's no longer able to uh, keep up with the other, with the other guys. But uh, if I just jumped omnisciently to show uh, in the middle of their journey, what's going on with um, uh, Arquette and, uh, and the troglodytes, uh, I, I, don't, I don't know that quite the same sense of paranoia would be created with the guys who are going through. But uh, the answer is, it was never my idea, but it was something that was suggested to me by a few people, and I turned it down for the reason I just gave you. Right, and it would have been a weird construction and journey into the unknown was super fun. What attracted you to, uh, uh, the subject matter, uh, you know, Westerns? I mean, did you grow up with Westerns? Has this been a hobby horse of yours or any thoughts on that? I, I enjoy, I enjoy Westerns. I sort of backed into them in a slightly weird way. Uh, insofar as I'm, I'm a big, uh, fantasy reader and, uh, I, I, just, I enjoy that sort of stuff. And as I was trying to sharpen my skills as a writer, I wrote an enormous uh, fantasy book, actually two books, and they, they would need a fair amount of work for me to be comfortable publishing them uh, at, at this point in my life. But those were the first two novels I wrote. This is while I was a catering chef and playing in death metal bands. So before the whole screenwriting career uh, thing for me took off. And um, so I was really into fantasy. And then... Uh, I'm a fan of Westerns, and I saw a bunch of Westerns at Film Forum, which is a revival house in New York uh, that I frequent, and I saw a lot of them, and as often happens with something like that, um, I watched the 17, 18, 19 of these in, a, in a, maybe a two-week period. I'm watching them being like, okay, this is good, or this isn't so good. I'm not sure why people like this one. Oh, this is great. These elements work for me. These elements don't. And kind of in the soup of watching all these Westerns and thinking about it and um, really exploring all that sort of stuff, I wrote my first Western, which was a script called The Brigands of Rattleborge. And that was the thing that launched my career as a screenwriter. And like half of the A-list in terms of like the biggest actors out there 
have been attached to it at some point and a bunch of different directors at some point. Who knows if it ever gets made? At some point, someone did a rewrite and I saw it and I thought it was, I thought the additions were terrible and embarrassing. Uh, so I don't know what version is out there or if it will ever be made. Uh, but if I'm sharing the writing credit on it, I'm, I'm probably going to be cringing at some of the stuff added. But, yeah. um, I did that and that set up my career. And then after that, I, I wrote a Western novel called The Congregation of Jackals and another one called Race to the Broken Land, uh, which was taken to Fox by Drew Goddard, adapted for Ridley Scott to make. Uh, I have doubts that that will ever be made. Um, there's a, I have a lot of stuff that's just sitting in studios. But a lot of what appealed to me about Westerns was the same thing that appealed to me about fantasy fiction, which is the yeah. sense of adventure and the sense of it isn't society putting all these rules on you. It's whatever you carry around inside of yourself put against other people and or elements uh, that are out there. And so that kind of uh, reduction in scope and then uh, the conflict that happens in, you know, such a crucible, be it in a fantasy badland or the Wild West is, is really appealing to me in terms of uh, a strong place to have conflict and character development and also exploration into the unknown. So that was that was how I got into Westerns. And it's uh, kind of the more I've written and the more I've watched the more I want to write and the more I want to watch. And it's such a rich history. There's a lot of great stuff there. So uh, I watched them as a kid. Uh, Wild Bunch, I really got into uh, when I was 13. So that was a bit, that remains one of my couple nice. favorite movies of all time. And that was something I got into very young. So certainly that uh, has influenced me my entire life, uh, that picture. And then the Sergio Leone ones also were appealing uh, yeah. very early on. And the Enrico Morricone uh, soundtracks, I'm sure, highly influential. Uh, Johnny Spoiler. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) My dad introduced me to them. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm chomping at the bit to get a couple questions in, but what's funny, when you were talking about your three-year experience and then its limitations, and then they were talking to you about Bone Tomahawk, I started fantasizing that, you know, since you make music, it'll just take Bone Tomahawk to Broadway. Just you know, Tomahawk on Broadway. You know, you know, let's have an adaptation. You know, uh, but but in all seriousness, though, you were talking about difficulty with moving projects and stuff like that. What what are we likely to see next? Do you think we're gonna get like Hug Chicken Penny as a movie, or that we'll see Fury of the Strongman? Which one of those two projects do you think we're likely to see? In the future, I, I, th- I think that, I think that r- right now, I, I, if I had to bet, I think the more likely is a third project that you are not naming because the name hasn't hasn't been put uh, out there. Well, that's my oh, next whoa. question: is if you were going to give us a little taste of the rumor that you're dipping back into horror and you're going to terrify us again on screen, is that happening? Uh, well, uh, I have a, I have a horror script that went out there, and I and, and in, terms, in terms of the reaction, let's say people were horrified. So that one, <laughs> that, that one is just a committed horror piece that's called uh, Dark Web Black Magic. And people were just uh, really, really horrified by it. So that one, I, you know, the, the process of stitching together a movie is, uh, for me anyways, the way it's worked and the way I've, I've had uh, creative control on all of them within whatever means I have to make the movie is get your movie, get your cast together. And with that package, go get, go raise the funds. So I have that package for a hug. Uh, some actors uh, who you've seen in my piece before uh, and some other uh, pretty cool household names uh, also joining that cast. Uh, but in terms of people financing the three-hour, 15-minute movie starring the animatronic Jim Henson puppet that's yeah. sort of in the vein of Elephant Man, people haven't been... Um, ecstatic to throw their millions at that so that one that one's sort of limping along in life support and i'll see i'll see where it lands um fury of the strong man i have some of the cast together with that looking to close that up in terms of cast and if i do then uh it's off to financing and uh, you know in that whole process again and that would be similar to the first three movies in terms of how it's going uh, the the third thing that I have going around now is a limited series Western that certainly has no small amount of horrific components to it. 
Uh, and I, I can't really say too much about that one at this point, but uh, some very interesting people are interested in it right now. And this is the process of how it goes, uh, for me anyways, because uh, there are other there are other probably quicker ways if you're willing to give up a certain amount of control, which I am not. Um, I just, I can't be at a, I can't be in a position where I'm putting a year and a half or two years of my life into a project and somebody I don't know tells me, uh, creatively how to manage a story that I created. It's just, yeah, yeah. I, I understand people. There are a lot of people out there who are willing to play ball in that way. And that's great. Probably most of them live in, um, Hollywood rather than, you know, in New York and, uh, keep a nocturnal schedule and do all the, you know, and, and play death metal. So I, I, I'm yeah, happy but we to do, man. Out. We do. We're with it. <laughs> We're with yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm happy to, I'm happy to be the outsider in that yeah, way. So yeah. the answer, it's not, the, the answer is I don't know which one will be next because it's not within my control. There was another piece that sort of was going between, um, uh, uh, Bone Tomahawk and Brawl and Subbuck 99, and then Brawl and Subbuck 99 leapt forward. When they got Vince Vaughn and people who were very interested to finance that version of it, so that's the stuff that's, that's the stuff that's out of out of my hands. Well, so, and, uh, uh, and and for the, in the meantime, I just finished fourteen months straight of working on my new graphic novel, and, and frankly, huh. looking looking to enjoy a little time off while I set up my next yeah. film project. Well, if you don't mind, we have some audience kicking in questions. There's a this app called Bull, Bullhorn FM lets them, as they listen along, they can submit questions as they tune in, like as we record it live, which is kind of cool. So like, it's a new feature that we're trying out. And it looks like the top rated question was uh, like upvoted by some of the other listeners. It's a, a question about Bone Tomahawk. It's like, what it was like working with Kurt Russell is the top voted question. So I guess just in general terms, I guess the experience, maybe what was it like working with Kurt Russell? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm very happy with the with the performance that he uh, that he delivered there, uh, and obviously he's he's done a lot of movies that are considered horror horror classics. Uh, I've, I've had better artistic collaborations with other actors since then, and people who I enjoyed working with more: Don wow. Johnson, Mel Gibson, Vince Vaughn, Fred Melamed, Jennifer Carpenter. The list the list goes on. So um, are they more moldable? Are those other actors more e- like easier to shape? the way you need them in the moment or um i i i felt that they were um maybe more user friendly right uh again i'm happy i'm happy with the work kurt did and happy that he came on board uh on on that piece but most of the actors i've, I've worked with i would happily uh uh work with again but uh there were some elements there that rubbed me wrong and i would be less excited uh to go back there there's one moment i mean i'm curious i mean i know we've taken a bit of your time here but we're having a lot of fun uh there's one moment in particular that stands out to me in bone tomahawk and it's um well i mean we love the movie obviously we enjoyed talking to you we appreciate you giving us the time to talk about your movie and uh and maybe fan out on it a little bit but um I know you were talking, he's a little more rigid. I mean, he's a little more old school, maybe in his style and he's maybe set in his ways, but how did you get him worked up for that moment? Uh, towards the end of the movie, spoiler alert, there's always one every night. I got to throw one out there. Mm-hmm. Um, so towards <laughs> the finality of this movie and the sheriff, it, it seems like he's contemplating his own mortality or has realized that he's about to face it. How did you catch that? Did you catch it in between takes of the camera rolling, or did you? How'd you put him in that headspace? Maybe you know the moment I'm talking about it, or if not, I'll, I'll elaborate on it. But I, I think you probably know. Um, it's in a close up. It's the look in his eyes, and it just seems to register. Yeah, that you know that that was, and and he, he would he would probably say this, but certainly every other every other person on the set could 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 verify this. Um, we were kind of going back and forth how he should do that scene and not agreeing. And, and in, in the end, that result that you see is the result of the disagreement because I wanted him uh, hiding a lot more of his pain. And, uh, and he was, and initially he was, he was showing more than I was happy with. And so uh, there was a fair amount of disagreement 
uh, with that, which actually was the very, we, we actually shot that. That was the last thing we shot uh, for the movie. And it was the end of a very long day. I think a day that went over 20 hours. And so we, I wanted him pushing down more. He wanted to show more and we kind of kept going uh, back and forth with it. And then we landed uh, in that space uh, with exactly what you're talking about. And I think he's terrific in it. Um, so that was, uh, that, that landed really well. And I remember, you know, he, you know, talking to him and, and Richard uh, Jenkins afterwards and they're like, yeah, that performance and where it landed in that scene really was a result of that disagreement. Uh, and I, I think he's, I think, I, I mean, I, I think he's a really good actor and has, has a lot of depth. Uh, and I, I love the work that he did there. So I think, I think it, and it was a result, it was a result of some of that friction in terms of us getting along. And, uh, and I think he does a really great job in it. I mean, they, you said nice. I mean, you answered it better than I could have even hoped for. So that yeah. you know, uh, again, I want I just want to thank you for tuning in tonight. I know you said you're you're up late at night. It's our preferable time as well. We're I don't know if we're vampires, but uh, we enjoy working at night. Sure. We uh, we podcast at night, and um, hey, bringing one of our favorite directors and writers on, you know, for her movie related discussion, and also kicking in talking about your graphic novel. Uh, we've loved it, man. We hope you enjoyed your time here. Um, when this, when this show is, I mean, if you, you can go get it on the bullhorn, if you want to play it back, if not, I'll go, I'll email you a link when, when the show is ready. Otherwise, um, it should be out like next Sunday, uh, for all the other listeners that are not on that application, <laughs> but, but, um, cool. yeah, thanks again for, for, for talking Thank to us you. tonight and, uh, we'll, we'll say goodnight. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Thanks it. for having me on. I appreciate it. Thanks for the thoughtful questions and, uh, and, and watching. I, uh, it's, it's, it's nice to hear and uh, that people still continue to enjoy the movie uh, a bunch of years later is, is really cool. So thanks for having me on and the opportunity. And, uh, yeah, keep watching horror. Oh, and, uh, and by the way, the tickets are already sold for your next thing or the on-demand, however it's going to get released this time. You know, it's <laughs> the pre-orders, <Yeah>. whatever. <laughs> We're ready. <Good>. Yeah. <laughs> We're in. Good, great. Great to hear. Thanks again. Have a good one. You too. Take right. care. You, you too. Bye. Peace. Well, gentlemen, that guy's cool. Wow, that was awesome. <laughs> wow, like, wow, I, I'm blown away. Like, and I, I've, he's better than I ever imagined. I'm, I'm, blown I, away. I'm really happy with his <laughs> candidness. I'm, yeah, you know, wow. yeah, that was, so, like, I wasn't wrong, expecting real, that, yeah. but hey, man, I wasn't either. He, yeah, that was real. Well, like, you heard what hey. he said. The keyword there was thoughtful questions. I think binge watchers does a really good job of going to the place that these podcasts about movies should go. Get right to it, man get into mm-hmm. it you know don't waste time i'm not even going to go to messages I, what, can we, what can we do for messages let's see you guys want some more <laughs> movies on stars check it out it's a free trial you got a link there there's a link to voodoo what they're doing for horror films this month grab that link yeah we're supported by sponsors and links and affiliates including yeah. bullhorn fm it's a great app it's interactive I, like i've been looking at the questions i've been looking at the listeners i like got this thing where it shows things from his movie i got quotes on the screen if you're watching on the app they see wow. us on camera, and they also see all this trivia, quotes from the movie, trivia, stuff about uh, Zayler's film career, everything. It's kind of a cool process to see as you podcast. Um, let's see. So let's jump into some horror movie and film headlines that aren't related to Bone Tomahawk. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> There's another movie out there? I want to still talk okay, about Bone Tomahawk. I, 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 can, I can talk about it all night. We'll be back. The feature presentation we'll be back. We'll, we'll okay, be back. Okay. So... I don't know if you guys heard about this. AMC is going to do a interview with a vampire TV show. Yeah, I don't know if you remember the '90s movie. Mm, had Brad Pitt as one of the vampires, and yeah. who's the other guy? Tom Cruise is the other vampire. Lestat. Christian Slater was in it too. Christian Slater was the interviewer. Yes, he was. Yeah, he was the interviewer. Antonio Banderas. Mm-hmm. Good and then, uh, very young Kristen Dunst. Kristen Dunst. The next one is going to wet David's little undies. All right, you ready for this, Dave? Mm. Takashi Miki. Is making a fantasy monster movie called The Great Yokai War. Oh man! He's the director of Itchy the Killer. He brought you Audition and Thirteen Assassins. Dave, are you ready for this? Do it. I. That guy does so much. <laughs> Go for Do it. it. <laughs> the next one. That guy is makes like thirty obscure. movies a year. I mean, it's he kind does. of obscure one unless you're like a, a true a true zombie fan. If you're a true zombie fan, you'll love the next uh, announcement here. 
Wormwood, the apocalypse, is getting a seek is gonna be the sequel to Wormwood Road of the Dead. You guys ever see that? That's like Mad Max mm-hmm. Road Warrior shit, but with uh with zombies. No, the guy has it was to, like an just, Australian yeah. movie, I believe. Yeah. So they're gonna they're finally getting the sequel, yeah. which is pretty awesome. Wormwood Apocalypse. And also, check this out. For you diehard, darkly obsessed anime fans out there. This is going to make Dave's nipples start lactating milk. Dave, you ready? There's yeah. an Anubis coming of all the Vampire Hunter D stuff collected in one giant book just for you, Dave. Oh, he's in it. Yeah. <laughs> Dave's there. Dave's already he's, in line. He's already he's got like, the pre-order Birthday done. gifts, guys. Yeah. Please. Yeah. Uh, our feature presentation, if you guys have tuned in since the beginning of the show, we had the writer and director of Bone Tomacon here. Wasn't even fucking joking. Like other podcasters are like, yeah, don't just wait. He'll be here. Any second he'll be here. Guy called on time. He's very <laughs> punctual. Very punctual. He and actually very nice. called online. Yeah. He called our call very. online to make sure the fucking thing worked before the show. So this guy's legit, man. I mean, he made Kurt Russell cry in a movie. I mean, get <laughs> it. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> wow. That's legit. Uh, so Bone Tomahawk is a movie in the old west, a sheriff played by Kurt Russell. And his deputy, played by Richard Jenkins, and a gunslinger, played by Matthew Fox, and a cowboy, played by Patrick Wilson, embark on a mission to rescue three people from a savage group of cave dwellers. We're going to talk our favorite slashes, our favorite kills. Um, and if you're looking at my icon, it flashes. If you're watching this and not listening, my icon is flashing because I had to put the director on the same line as me, the same mic and phone line. And now my camera is frozen. So you're just going to get this little audio pop where you just see... My excited face and my microphone will beep. It looks like a video plane. It looks like an animation. I, I kind of like it. I can't get it unstuck. So, so fuck it. <laughs> I, I was wondering why you went there. Okay, yeah. Yeah. I'm, running, I'm operating two platforms. I got StreamYard. I got Bullhorn running for the trivia and the, the submitted questions. Yeah. And I'm trying to talk to you guys at the same time. So, so like a lot going on. Good. Yeah. So here we go. Okay. Nick, kick us off. What's your favorite kill from this movie? I mean, I'm not going to go with the extreme one, but I'm going to go with one I really like because I think it sets the movie up so beautifully. It's the opening death with Sid Haig where you see it very far from a distance and you see his like innards or whatever get taken out by the Savages guys. And I think it was just a great opening and then it sets up later on when you're so shocked by all the other deaths. So I'm going to say that was my favorite slash. Wait, which one? The Sid Haig one. Oh, okay. The, the opening one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know what I'm saying. But it's, it's shot from a. It's shot so far from a distance that it's not so intense. I love the fact that he made the intense one later. Most movies like Scream or something, you want to open up with the intense one, right? He's like, sure. no, I'm going to kind of show it from a distance. I, I love this guy's I style. I actually think you can put that opening all together. and You, you can probably could. Oh, off. and it would be, oh my gosh, it would be a totally different movie too, yeah. Davey? Mm. Um, well, I guess I am going to go for the obvious one because it is just that damn good. <laughs> um, the it, Our director mentioned it, the splitting the splitting in half scene. Um, cool. How... Ugh, that I, there's a few movies that have done that, and this might be up there. <laughs> the only one that contends with it is maybe Wrong Turn Two, if of all things. <laughs> but um, yeah, I don't know how you watch that and not wince in pain. That guy just getting. No, I just wrote splitting split. the chestnuts. Is that accurate? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Yep. That pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> well, he gets yeah. disemboweled while he was at it. But oh, oh man, yeah. that 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 lives with you. That'll live with you. There were like three but, moments in that scene that you just go you know, one, uh, two, three. <laughs> just, I didn't get it right, right. to bring it up to Zaylor directly, but he said he grew up trying to watch the movies he wasn't allowed to watch or something. And I know Adam has said that before. Like when your introduction to all these horror movies for this summer, maybe it was maybe it was a few episodes ago. You you made a comment, Adam, that stuck with me. Yeah. And I, I just feel like you and Zaylor are like you guys like you both draw comics and you both Very like similar. westerns. And you both try to get used to the stuff that you're not allowed to watch, but now can now now <laughs> indulge. <laughs> anyway, I went off on a tangent, and this was full of tangents, so I should try to keep it on track. Okay, yeah, um, it's your turn. Your yeah, destiny. okay. So uh, obviously, that big splitting. Okay, before we even get to the splitting, they're talking uh, to the guy. He's relaying information. Uh, the the deputy or whatever. And I'm not trying to spoil anything, 
you know, so I'm going to be vague, but you see someone get scalped on camera. Like it just, we don't even get to the neck the splitting and, 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 ah, you know, like everyone that I watched it with, <laughs> we're all like, ah, how could this, you know, anyway, it was crazy. We were, everyone screamed. <laughs> everyone screamed. It was glorious. It was like a heightening of the moment just because you're around people that are all like equally revolted, but also like eyes glued to the screen, you know, even though we had to dart our eyes away for a while. But the movie opens up with like a, a, a huge, like, you know, um, uh, throat slit. So, you know, it's it's the promise of what's to come. So what do you think, Johnny? What's your favorite? Uh, my favorite kill. Yeah, uh, I actually. You... Uh, okay, I'm gonna do a double spoiler alert. I actually, when the hero dies. Oh. Uh. No, it's a good one. Yeah. I mean, it's sad. Well, I mean, like, yeah. like <laughs> which? Wait, wait, wait. Which hero? Because there are other heroes. There's a couple uh, of heroes. Yeah, I guess I'll specify, huh? Yeah. Um, early in the episode, I, I I asked the director a director like question. Um, we didn't really get to talk about this. We did I don't think he knows that we're also in and out of the industry, that we're actors, directors, writers, editors, cinematographers ourselves. I don't think he knows our history, but that's a director's moment. You look for that. That's what happened in his movie. That's what you look for, right? Like if you're telling a story with cinema and you see a moment like that, when you're watching it and you recognize it as like a moment that they had to engineer, um, but it's done so well that it, you believe it. So yeah. the hero I'm referring to, obviously, is like the sheriff. I mean, I don't necessarily think the movie is the sheriff's journey. I think it's more the cowboy's journey who's injured the whole movie. Like his resilient, his idiot, the idiot husband that goes after his wife who gets kidnapped, and like he's we're along for the ride. I think it's mostly his journey. But, uh, like, what what did dude say? Zoller said that he was influenced by westerns and he liked Sam Peckinpah because he mentioned Wild Bunch, didn't he? Didn't he bring yep. a wild bunch? Yes. Yeah. See, like this whole thorough line of like, you got to have somebody die hard at the end of this movie, and like, like there's no way around it. <laughs> yeah. Also, the trepidation that he was talking about, how you show things off screen, why this is extremely effective in the horror genre, is because it terrifies you the unknown. Like whatever yep. you can see that's out of the out, just just on the other edge of your vision, and he reinforces it because they keep they keep taking out a looking glass. They keep hearing things in the distance, getting closer, right? And they're speculating the entire time about what these cave dwellers, cannibal killers actually look like, sound like, what their motivation for taking people is. And it doesn't line up with anything that they're that they're taught with their little law enforcement, small town, whatever, sheriff meandering, right? So yeah. we know they're not prepared. We know they couldn't possibly be freaking prepared, right? There's, there's no way in hell they're, they're prepared. I wasn't prepared, and I'm just watching it. <laughs> <laughs> the climb, the climactic death, the one that, the one that's like, you know, the the, the iconic. End, yeah, that ends the story, the punchline to the story. Um, and who knows? I mean, we didn't ask him about the title. Like, obviously, it's one of the tools the cannibal uses, right? It's a bone tomahawk, literally made out of yeah. a bone, and it cuts. It's it's like Excalibur. It fucking cuts through anything, whatever. It is. It's a tough weapon. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, it is. And uh, if we go to fan service, I just want to briefly mention this. So a buddy of mine always changes his name on Instagram. And uh, this week he's Sean Cougar Mellencamp. Last time it was Jonathan Taylor Thomas. So that's always TV and movie related. I think it's hilarious. <laughs> John, well, not just, Taylor like, Thomas, really? Wow. Let's go back it's to totally the real Jonathan Taylor Thomas. Yeah, let's go back to a couple <laughs> movies that Dave likes. He said his favorite two movies of the year are Nobody and then Benny Loves You. Benny Loves You, we can talk yeah. about briefly. That's a horror movie. That's like a, what, a little doll kills people or something, right? Like, Benny Loves You. Yeah. Yeah. There, I, I, I think I, I think I mentioned that on the show a few episodes yeah, ago. Yeah, it was one of yeah, your, uh, was one of your scary picks for the month, right? So. Gotcha. Yeah, so I definitely recommend it, and nobody as well. <laughs> nobody. Yeah. I mean, actually, me and Nick both chose that one week. Uh, we we love nobody. Yeah. <laughs> and speaking of freaking scary picks, if you need a recommendation that's going to terrify you or make you throw up, let's see what we got. What can we recommend for this week? 
Anybody have anything else that's horrific that they want to bring up? Uh, yeah. You got something, Nick? Uh, yeah, Brawl in Cell Block 99. It has some of the most violent <laughs> deaths I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Just saying. It's <laughs> crazy. It kind of is, though. I mean, it has more violence than most horror movies. I'm, I'm just saying. I was blown away by that movie. Well, yeah. we're going to have to call him Nicky Renegade from now on. Yeah. <laughs> format. I mean, you could watch that movie and be like, uh, or am, I, am I watching like Friday the 13th? There's, I mean, it's it's violent moments are way more intense. Let's not Don't try to force that. the genre now. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I'm forcing it. <laughs> Oh, anyway, wow. and I went down the rabbit hole of this director this week, so I had no time to watch anything else that was crazy violent, you know. So I know we're getting a text message every five minutes from this guy. Oh my god, I just watched this. Oh my god, I just <laughs> watch. I watch all his movies this week. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Davy. All right, so I went back and uh, rewatched a, a classic to me horror movie that I don't think it's talked about enough, but it's called Brain Damage. It's from uh, Frank Henenlotter, who did uh, Frankenhooker and uh, Basket Case. Oh. Um, it's it's basically about this alien worm that um, will connect to the back of your neck and control you, and through psychedelia. Um, and it has <laughs> what is the movie? A, a weird. What is the movie? I didn't hear the title. What is Brain it? Brain, Brain Damage? Okay. Yeah. Um. It's got a weird, it's got a lot of brain eating. It's got the weirdest fellatio scene you'll ever see. <laughs> yeah. Call it that. Um, and wow. it's got, and it's got a, and it's got an old school. So now we can't watch it in September then. We can't watch it in September then. We can't watch it Why for Because it was one of my candidates weird, weird September, but now we can't because they've already watched it. Oh, was it on your list? I didn't yeah, know but I can watch it again. You guys haven't. I I, I, watched it years I haven't given I you my it. favorite kill. <laughs> slash. I, I think you did, it, Dave. But... I think you did. Uh, Adam, did you watch? Well, yeah, it? It... yeah. I watched this uh, this movie called "Dragged Across Concrete." Oh, geez. <laughs> yes. You follow me. Uh, so yes. tune in next week. Uh, next week will probably be. Uh, yes. we'll, what, are we, what are we watching? Good question. Uh, by on. the way, I have no idea. What are the coming scary attraction guys? I don't know. <laughs> I actually don't have the list. Actually, don't know. I'm managing this other thing, so let's see. Let's <laughs> yeah, see I have no idea. Good. And there are horror <laughs> elements in that movie. There are definitely. Oh, we're we're we've arrived at New York Ripper. So next week we're going to cover the New York Ripper. Oh snap! Is that, Lu- is that Lucio Fauci? Yeah. Yeah. Or no? Yes. Oh, I love my, really? My boy. All right. I and like again, it. Again, it's like a movie it. Dave's seen because Dave has seen everything with the exception of what did we catch him not having seen? Enter the Dragon, well, Flatliner, <laughs> Godfather One and Two. Yeah, I watched those last year. Oh, yeah. He's caught up. He's caught up with all last the titles. Year? And now he's actually seen Bone Tomahawk. How about that? There you go. I, I saw it like five years ago. It's great. It's great. Chinatown. Remember when he had uh, seen Thanks China again. Tomahawk. I don't know if you happen to tune into this, but thanks again for uh, joining us tonight, Mr. Zoller. Likes to go by his last name. It's kind of cool. Kind of a yeah, cool that was one. really amazing. Uh, he was incredible. I loved hearing him talk about his work. He's so talented. And everybody who tuned in live, thank you for supporting the show. That means a lot to us, actually. You took the time to show up tonight. Thank you. Um, and we'll be back again with some other live shows. And, of course, this available episode is, like, up on Bullhorn. You can look at all the extra features and play it back and enjoy the episode about Bone Tomahawk and extra things like this concrete movie they keep bringing up. And uh, <laughs> check it out, it's good. Yeah, and next week we'll be back with uh, New York Ripper. Stuff so, got real, guys. Late. Did it? Did it? Peace. It kind of, I guess it did. It did. Oh, yeah. Oh, it got real. From now on, it's going to not be enough that he says it got real. He has to give us like an example. That's pretty real. Real with the actor and the actor. It actually did get real when he told us that he disagreed with Kurt Russell. That's yeah, that got real. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's gonna be the headline that gets us in the news articles right there. That's gonna there you be go. like, like uh. Kurt's gonna that come drama up is always <laughs> juicy. Yeah. yeah it is.
Go ahead, get your last licks in, boys. Um, looking good, Nikki Lates. Looking good. <laughs> yeah, looking good. That's how I roll. Dave, Dave is like passing Dave out in the corner. Man Dave has, he immediately Dave went to the out? computer to order some anime. So yeah, yeah, he's so obsessed. He's an addict. If we could.